0: well good morning so glad that you came here today we continue our stronger than series and um I want to start out first by you taking out your bulletin and there's some notes in there. And I I need you all to, if you didn't get a bulletin, to grab a piece of paper. And I need you to create a couple of blanks for me and I need you to fill those in. The first blank we're going to fill in today is I want you to write your name. Your first name and your last name. All of us in this room, we all have that in common. We do have a name. So write that down for me. The name that you're writing down right now. Represents a person that has dreams and hopes and, and all kinds of things, don't, don't you? You know, you have goals, aspirations, educational goals, financial goals, relational goals, health goals, vacationship goals. There's all kinds of goals uh, that you have. Here, here's another uh, fill in the blank that I'd love for you to fill in. Draw a line and then I want you to write in for me. Uh, what is a place that, or a thing that you love to do? What is something that just fuels you, that, that just gets you going in life? Why don't you write that down for me underneath uh, where you wrote down your name? Now, while you're, while you're writing that down, uh, I want to share with you what I wrote down. I love vacation with my family. And uh, it's a time to get away, to celebrate, just to relax and enjoy. And uh, I call this beach in Canada, Ipperwash Beach, and it's right off the of the, the waters of Lake Huron, and there there's a little small thousand square foot cottage that's been in our family since the early 1900s, and, and there my family and I, we've grown up Uh, My cousins, my relatives, my grandma owns it, and we just had a great time uh, growing up there. And every 4th of July, almost, we go and we convene on that little small cottage, and we celebrate this country's independence and another one. Don't ask me why we do that, all right, but we love to do it, and it is a really, really good time. I'm not sure what you wrote down, but that's what I wrote down. Here's another thing that I want you to write down underneath, uh, something that you love. I want you to write down now, what is a dream that has never been fulfilled? Write that down for me. What's a dream that has never been fulfilled? Write that down. Some of you aren't writing this down. Okay, here we go. Write that down. All right, you can do this. Here's what I know about myself: that there's many dreams that I would love to see fulfilled. One of them is to climb a couple of very large mountains in my lifetime. I'm not sure. Uh, What you may have, some of us you may say, well, you know, what? it'd be to climb a mountain or it'd be to write a book or it'd be to win the Reader's Digest sweepstakes or for the Cubs to win the World Series. Oh, wait, that already happened. Baseball season begins, I think, tonight. All right. So just a little prelude for you. I don't know what maybe dream you would love to see fulfilled, but maybe that would that would be one of them. Or maybe just today, I've heard so many of you share with me, you just would love to see good things to happen to good people. That you would love to see wonderful things take place for the, the people that, that you love. Another dream that I'd love to see, that the, 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 the doctors would realize that ice cream does help the pounds come off and doesn't add on. That part of your diet, that the favorite food group would come to fruition. That it, with every scoop of that great thing, the pounds would just be shed. That would be another dream of mine, I think. Uh, but if we ran the planet, if we had things the way we wanted them to be, uh, we would love to see moms and dads outlive their children. We'd love to see good kids never get cancer. We'd love to see families who want to have children able to have children. We'd love to see those things take place in in our very life. But, But here's the thing, whatever dream you wrote down, life then hits you, doesn't it? And when life hits you, disappointment so many times becomes a reality and what life can be so oftentimes is calm all of a sudden it springs into chaos in our life you know that same cottage in Nipperwash, I remember one time we took our little 21 foot runabout boat out into Lake Huron and we were at least a mile offshore And everything is calm, the lake is a mirror and we're slalom skiing and we're diving and we're just enjoying ourselves and all of a sudden out of nowhere, a storm comes up out of literally nowhere and we are seeing two to four foot waves and our boat is being thrown from here to there and we hightail it back to shore just to survive. From calm to chaos, that's exactly what has taken place. And this is exactly what happens in our life when disappointment comes in. There's a, family and I, there's a family that my wife and I know very well, and it's the Coker family. And I want to introduce them to you. They have three boys, Carson, Candler, and Keaton. And the Coker family, these three boys, they're great, great guys. All, all three of them are athletes. All three of them are respected guys in the community where they grew up. And I had the pleasure to perform the wedding of Carson and his, now his wife, Kayla, and now they're expecting their second child. After the wedding of Carson and Kayla, just two weeks later, uh, Keaton, the youngest, would have a a horrible seizure at church that Wednesday night. And they didn't know what it was. The doctors came back with clarification that the seizure was caused by a horrific cancer. And and the cancer was one of their deepest and greatest fears. And over the next several months and and years, Keaton would undergo quite a journey. He'd go through radiation and chemotherapy. He'd have two brain uh, surgeries. And throughout, he had this unbelievable attitude. His attitude was that, you know what, he was thumbs up. He was okay. He was an offensive lineman for a very well-respected football team, powerhouse in the community and actually in the state. And everybody looked to this guy, Keaton. He had the best attitude, and he marveled the doctors. He marveled all those um, around him because of his attitude, how resilient he was. He became kind of a, a local hero, if you were. In fact, in the middle of chemotherapy and radiation, he played every single down of every single football game. He, he actually began to kick cancer the Cancer began to dissipate, and the doctors actually thought, you know what, this kid has literally licked cancer. This is unbelievable. And he uh, finished one summer last practice in football by hiking up a mountain at 5 a.m. in the morning. And the whole football team is behind him, and he summits, and he stands tall, a cancer survivor, and he goes back down the mountain, and he encourages those to come back up with him. Things are going so well, and, and I, I'll be honest with you, there was optimism. But then he went back to the doctor for a routine checkup and the doctor said we have bad news. And the bad news is that out of nowhere the cancer came back. And because the cancer came back, it's spreading all over his body and there's nothing more that we can do. In fact, what we'd love for you to do is just take him home and make him as comfortable as we know possible. And within a few weeks, Keaton was gone. And and the family was just left completely shocked and and devastated. They, They didn't know what to do. They didn't know... What to say? It had gone from calm to chaos and their disappointment was so very strong in, in their life. And, and how do you deal with the fact that you'll never see your son walk through the door of your house again? How do you deal with disappointment that, that brings questions to mind? How do you deal with disappointment that inevitably leads us to, to question actually God himself? We begin to question things like, is God there, and is God present, and and is God available to me, and ultimately, is God stronger than my greatest disappointment? You know, to be honest with you here today, that's why I love the psalm that we're going to look at, Psalm 77, if you want to turn there in your Bible, or a tablet, or a smartphone, or if you, you don't have a Bible, pull out the Bible that's in front of you. It'd be our gift to you if you don't own one. We'd love for you to take that home, but in Psalm 77, the writer, he gives us words that are raw and unedited, they're real. And he begins to wrestle with the greatest perplexities and and disappointments known to himself and others. You know, the Psalms they were gathered together around 2,500 years ago. And these Psalms are gathered together, I think, as a way to help you and I in the middle of anger and disappointment and, and really bitterness even, um, for us to love God, for us to respond out of these things and lament the way God wants us to lament. So as we turn to Psalm 77, we discover that who has written it is a guy named, by the name of Asaph. And Asaph, he's just a regular, ordinary Joe. He would have been your next door neighbor if he would have been in today's world. And if we look at the whole psalm in totality, we see that he starts out with a bunch of questions, and then he begins to reminisce, and he's reminiscing on the good days. And the good days were so good that Asaph recalls that he was singing. And here's the deal not very many guys like to sing out loud. Most of you stand in our singing time, and you look like this, and you're watermelon it the whole time. Watermelon, water. You look like you're singing, but you're not. I know, I know. But this guy was so thankful and so excited about life that he's singing to God. That's how passionate he is. And then he ends the psalm. But as we begin, what we begin to realize is that there's a, there's a first part to it. And it's verses 1 through 10 and then the second part, 11 to the, to the end. And Asaph begins in verse 1 and he says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit, it grew faint. Asaph, he he doesn't tell us about what the disappointment is. He doesn't tell us exactly what he's wrestling with, so we're left to guess. Is it a financial issue? Is it a spouse that he had lost? Is it a physical ailment that now is... Suffering and and he may be seeing the end of his life come quickly? We don't know, but Charles Spurgeon, he was a a preacher in the 1800s. He went through all these physical ailments. He suffered from depression and severe issues and, and gout. And he read Psalm 77 and he says, Some of us know what it is, both physically and spiritually, to be compelled to use these words. No respite has been afforded us by the silence of the night. And this is exactly what Asaph is. He's up all night. Have you ever been up all night because of a disappointment in your life? I have. He says in verse 4, You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. He's saying, look, my thoughts were so crazy, I couldn't put them in together to communicate to God or anybody else. The disappointment has brought me so low. How do you talk to God? How do you talk to others when your disappointment is so scattered it leaves you just wanting to? to to think through things. When your recovery seems like it's a million miles away, how do you respond? You know, for the Coker family, Keaton had passed away. They they didn't know how to respond. They were asking questions like, well, why now? And why all the optimistic hope? And then you took them home. Why did you do what you did, God? And and why would we suffer the way we suffered? And and, and why now? And, And why don't you do this, and why didn't you do that? It sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like ASAP asking these questions. You know, I love what one author, he observes in this psalm, and I took it to heart this week. He made the observation that so many times in our life, when we encounter, someone else encounters a disappointment, we offer these sometimes trite words. Just pray about it. Just pray about it. When, When people are asking why, we offer these simple words, just, just pray about it. And the author, he begins to expound, expound upon that. He just he, We just offer, just pray. And that's exactly what Asaph had done in verse 1. He said, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. That's exactly what Asaph is doing. He's praying. So many times we encounter someone who, who's lost a loved one. We just, just pray about it. So many times we We have gone through, or or someone we know has suffered through a premature birth of a a child and they lose that little child, and we just say, just pray about it. Or or oftentimes, somebody's in a horrific accident and and it maims them. We just say, pray about it. Prayer isn't bad. I'm not saying that. Prayer is powerful. It's needed. But it's not the only thing that is needed in disappointment. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, it says this, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remember my remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his forever his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? These are rhetorical questions. How many rhetorical questions does he ask? Well, six of them. And if I could summarize all of the rhetorical questions that he asks, it's this. Well, you're not showing up, God. Where are you in the middle of these things? You're not coming through. And then he begins to ramp up the questions We read through those six rhetorical questions and you sense these asking questions that are raw. They're unedited. They're a little unscripted. And to be quite honest with you, we're kind of shocked they're in Scripture. They're like, can you be that real? So many times we get trite as Christ followers. We offer these little trite sayings and these little things and we pat people on the back and walk away. And what I love about Asaph, he's real. He's straight to the point. And you know what he says? He says things like in verse 7 and through 8 and 9, he says, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Basically, does God keep his word? Then he says, has God forgotten to be merciful? Does he need a reminder? Does God forget? Does he need a post-it note? And then he continues, has he in anger withheld his compassion? He's asking these painful questions. And I'm telling you, if we're to be honest today, we would have all asked these things. I know I have. We're not the first ones to ask these. Asaph wasn't the first one to ask these. And we won't be the last. One of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, had a wonderful marriage to his, his bride, Joy. And after she would die from cancer, in the midst of grief, he writes this, Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing happy, Needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is in vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and a double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. See, friends, this is a question we've asked. Why God? Why did this happen? Why the disappointment? Why the calm and and now the chaos? Why God? And we question, are you going to be stronger than my disappointment, God? This question, why, it's something that we all wrestle with, don't we? There was a national survey done not too long ago. And the survey was, what is one question you wish could be answered? And you know what the number one question was that everyone said? We want to know why the evil, why the disappointment. There's a little quirk about this survey that married people wanted to know a lot more about that than unmarried people. I don't, I don't know why they asked it. I don't really want to know why they asked that, all right? But it's okay to ask why and the longer i'm alive the older i become the more that i pastor and walk alongside others the more i realize this simple thing that i don't know i don't know i don't know why they got sick i don't know why your business hasn't recovered i don't know why you can't get a job i don't know why that they died I don't know why he walked out. I don't know why she turned her back on you. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know why. And In the middle of the why season of our life, we are reminded truth in Scripture that I want to point our attention to. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a page, perhaps, and it's a blank page. Between Malachi or some like to call the Malachi, the Italian guy, between Malachi and Matthew, there's a 400-year silence. And, and if I'm not mistaken, that's actually older than America has been in existence. So for longer than the history of this country that we so love, God was silent. Where did he go? We don't know. What, what was he trying to do? We don't know. But it was a mystery, wasn't it? What was he doing? Was it, were his feet up? Was he letting people just kind of do what they want? We don't know. Here's what I want you to do uh, right below the, the where you shared about your dream that's been unfulfilled. I, what I want you to do is I want you to write down the mystery in your life. I want, to write, I want you to write down, what is the one disappointment that you carry around right now? What is the one thing that you struggle with in your life that you can't figure out the mystery? You're asking, why God? I want you to write that down for me. And as we continue to journey through this psalm, what we do is we begin to learn from the psalmist, the Asaph, that he's helping us understand something that it's, yes, a surprise for me to, to say, you know what, we need something just beyond prayer to understand and discover the God who is, who is stronger than our disappointment. Maybe you were surprised by that. But here is why. We keep reading in Psalm verse 11. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all of your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. You see what he's doing? He's not just praying, but instead he's focusing on who God is. That, that, that he's putting his, his perspective on who this God really is. When we begin to gain clarity about who God is, clarification of everything else just takes place. It just happens. It just kind of falls into the equation. If we look at Psalm 77, and if we were to take a snapshot of it, and we were going to observe it, what you might find here is interesting. In the first six verses, you're going to find 18 references to a personal pronoun. What's happening here is that Asaph, you know what he's doing? He's talking about himself. He begins, he says, I cried out to God. And he didn't hear me. I couldn't sleep. I was hurt. I was confused. I was depressed. I was in pain. I need a miracle for my problems, God. Me, 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 me. But as you begin to keep reading in Psalm, you see a shift happen. And the shift is what, don't miss this, the shift happens and it goes from me to He. And when this shift goes from me to he, when he takes himself out of the center of his prayers and he begins to focus on God, it changes everything. And he begins to discover the God who is stronger than even his greatest disappointment. Look at it with me. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles of long ago. C-L-A-R-I-T-Y, clarity. But then he gets on a roll. I love it. In verse 13, he says, your ways, God, are holy. He, he, he's talking about the God who is holy, that this God has attributes of moral inf- moral greatness. And then he continues in verse 14. And following, he says, What God is as great as our God? You are a God who performs miracles. That he's talking about a God who's great, that his plans are unthwarted, that, that nothing frustrates God, that he's got it all under control, that he knows what's going forward. He says, you display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen. He ends this part saying, look, the attributes of God is that he's a caring God. And the reason why he's a caring God is because he tracks the the story of Moses and Aaron. And we looked looked at that a little bit last week, that the the, the children of Israel, their backs were at the Red Sea, and they were staring at destruction. Military might coming upon them, the Red Seas parted, they walk on dry ground across that Red Sea, and what happens next? They begin a journey towards the land that had been promised them long, long, long ago. And it was only a journey that should have taken a month. But because of disobedience, not because of trusting in God, it took them 40 years. And because of the 40-year journey, what happened, they begin to learn some lessons. But finally, the day happens that they step foot on the river bank of the Jordan, and they are so excited. One author says it this one, I love it. He says, picture millions of people at the, the foot of the, the Jordan River. Think about Woodstock, but sober, okay? And Joshua gives final instructions. He says, when you see the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant, I just follow them and you'll know which way to go. So they do that, but then they get to the bank of the Jordan and there's been one detail omitted that is a rather important one. And that is that the Jordan is at flood stage. And when a Jordan is at flood stage, that means that they cannot cross it. And here's the deal here. Can you imagine a young family, and they can literally, you can see the land that you're going to take. You can see where your neighborhood's going to be, but you can't get across this river. Can you imagine being an elderly person who can't walk very well, and you can see where you're going to retire and lay your head to rest for the final time, but you can't get across because you can't walk, across, you can't walk through this river. What are they going to do? Think about the, the, the uh, disappointment they must have been feeling. But look what happens in Joshua 3.15. It says, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethon, while the water flowing down to the sea of the Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jordan. And here's what I want you to take away with today. that that There was a town called Adam that was upstream 19 miles, and the water stopped there. Can you see 19 miles? No, you can't. But did God do a miracle? Yeah, He did. And, and, And here's what I want you to see. That oftentimes God is upstream from us doing miracles that we don't even see. What I want you to understand from this is that no matter what circumstance you're going through, no matter what disappointment that you face, the water may be too deep for you. The the issue that you're facing is overwhelming. But when you begin to place and understand who God is in your peripheral, and you get rid of me and you move to He, friends, what you begin to see is that He is working upstream from you. He may be silent, but that doesn't mean He's not working. He may uh, be letting the pain be experienced, but that doesn't mean that there's not purpose. And we all have a choice to make. We can, in the middle of disappointment, turn our back on God. Or we can, with confidence, place our trust in a God who is at work upstream in unbelievable ways. And and I'll I'll be honest with you, this isn't easy stuff, is it? But my friends, this is unbelievable stuff. There's an addendum to the, the Coker story that, is really quite extraordinary. What happened with with the Coker family was that after Keaton would pass away, they'd have a visitation, then they'd have a funeral. And the visitation, there were thousands of people that went to the visitation, thousands at the funeral. And, And the pastor shared one thing at the end of the funeral, and that was Keaton's passion for Jesus and his personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And people responded that day, to this Jesus and a relationship began for those individuals. Well, a few days after the the memorial service, a family contacted Mr. Coker and they said, Hey, we have a family member who's struggling through brain cancer and we would just like to talk to you. We'd just like to go, we'd just like to have a conversation And so they sat down and God impressed Mr. Coker that he was to dive into Keaton's bank account that he'd been building for years, working in the summer. It was, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars. And he said, you know what, I'm going to give you this money so that you can go on a Disney cruise because this individual is not going to last much longer. they had already known that. And so they go on a Disney cruise and they get back and, and a relationship began to form. And one of the people in that family began to learn about this Jesus and all of a sudden he one day realized that he must trust in this Jesus to understand that he is stronger than even his disappointment. Well, calls begin to come in all the time from all these people who are, who are going through and had family members who were suffering with, with brain cancer. And before you know it, they're like, maybe we should start an organization. And the organization, they said, well, let's, let's call it Thumbs Up. Because every time they ever asked Keaton how he was doing, he just said Thumbs Up. And, and slowly but surely, they begin to build this ministry, and they begin to launch these retreats with 20 and 30 families at a time, always ending the way Keaton wanted it, sharing about this Jesus he had a personal relationship with. This year alone, after several years, they had over 160 family members on retreats in just one year through Thumbs Up Ministry. And, and it's a miracle. It's unbelievable how God has moved using Keaton's story. In fact, there's a, there's a picture up I want to show you of a family. Go ahead and throw that picture up, guys. There it is. Isn't that a great picture? That picture is a family who has literally been impacted by thumbs-up ministry, and they're experiencing what it looks like to be loved by Jesus Christ and understand even in the middle of disappointment, they can discover a God who is stronger than And here's the thing, God is going to either lighten your load or he's going to strengthen your back. And I don't know which one he's going to do for you, but I promise you this, that if you begin to to put your eyes and your focus upon God, what he will do in the middle of your disappointment, don't, don't, don't miss this, okay? He will take your greatest disappointment and it'll intersect with the Great Commission. And as your greatest disappointment intersects with the Great Commission, lives will be forever changed. Every single time. Because God will allow your story to impact others' story. Just like Keaton's did. You see, God never wants disappointment to have the last word. Do You know that. That your life, disappointment does not have to have the last word in your story. As you put your focus and your emphasis upon the God who is stronger than. You know, and there's a, there's a, a statement that we always see in every single psalm of lament. In every psalm that we read in that collection called Psalms, in every single lament we see, there's always a statement, a declaration, a vow. And the vow is is that I will put my focus on the God who is stronger than my greatest disappointment. And as Carmen comes out and, and the team comes to sing us just a song in a moment, I want to ask you the question, will you turn your back on God or will you face Him? Will you focus on Him? And will you make a vow, will you make a de- de- declaration in the middle of your disappointment that you, my friend, that you will trust in this God to strengthen your back or to completely lighten the load. We're going to end the service a little bit differently than we normally do. What's going to happen is that the team is going to come out and they're going to lead us in a song. And you're going to stay seated. because It's going to be different than we normally di- we dismiss and we end services. You're going to stay seated wherever you are. And the the ushers are going to come forward as the song begins to play and they're going to pass out a letter. And I want you just to hold the letter and I don't want you to open it up and we're going to all open it up together. I'm going to pray and then this team is going to lead us through the song and they're just going to sing over you for a moment. I want you to think about these words as you get this letter. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends. In the middle of our disappointment, in the middle of our journey, Heavenly Father, we're grateful For people like Asaph who have taught us so much. As we hear these words, I pray that you would truly speak into our lives. Speak into our souls and speak into our greatest disappointment right now. In your name we pray. Amen.